Yep, it's the Robcast, episode 343, I Am At Dogs. <laughs> and if you're like, seriously, these titles get weirder by the moment, but I Am At Dogs, it's not actually my line. So have I ever told you this story, the I Am At Dogs story? Oh my God, it's so good. So here's the story. Uh, there's a writer named Irving Stone. Have you read any Irving Stone books? Oh my God, Irving Stone. How do I even describe him as a writer? So what Irving Stone would do is he would become fascinated with some figure, Michelangelo, uh, Van Gogh, Freud, and he would immerse himself in the letters, the geography, the cities those people lived in, the culture at that time. He would immerse himself in the life of some person we've all heard of, and then he wrote these biographies about the person, but wrote it like as historical fiction. Like he would take like the letters that he'd found uh, between this person, this person, and then he would write it up like the person's life, like a story. So it's like you're getting a historical, it's like historical fiction, I guess is what you'd call it. Uh, and maybe somebody knows more about these genres and, and could clarify beyond that. But I love Irving Stone's book. Irving Stone's book, Lust for Life, is my second favorite book. I mean, that book, it's, the, it's about the life of uh, Van Gogh, how Van Gogh is, doesn't even really know what he's getting at. He's just trying to paint something in a new way, and he's just following this with everything he's got, and it's wrecking him, but he's also producing paintings that weren't even really appreciated in his lifetime. Anyway, Lust for Life, my second favorite book ever. Read it so many times. That's an Irving Stone book. So Irving Stone book wrote a book about Charles Darwin that is called The Origin, and it is, oh my God, this book is just awesome. So what happens is you're, you're learning about Charles Darwin, but lots of the conversations are reconstructed by Irving Stone based on what he knows from the time period, from um, Darwin's writings, from letters, that sort of thing. So um, this line is, I am at dogs, is in an Irving Stone book about Charles Darwin. But when you go Googling trying to find if Charles Darwin actually said that, you find nothing, okay? So, so disclaimer up front, a dude put a phrase in the mouth of another dude who lived a long time ago, and this dude is talking to you about that line that that dude put in the mouth of that other dude. <laughs> God, that is an awesome setup for an episode. So Darwin is born in Shrewsbury in 1809. It's this little, I've been there in a little town in England. My boys and I played cricket on this lawn in front of the town. Um, it's just like this picturesque British town. His dad was a doctor, um, had six kids. Uh, actually, Darwin married, um, his wife was from the Wedgwood family. Darwin was actually from the Wedgwood family, like that China, you know, like the, you know, plates and stuff. Um, and he was going to be a doctor like his father, but got bored with it because he was fascinated with beetles and butterflies and taxidermy. So Darwin was always fascinated with the natural world. The term was naturalist in those days. And, uh, at the end of what we would call college, I guess, he got this offer to go, um, and if you've read anything about Darwin, he goes on this HMS Beagle, the ship. So here's what was happening at that time. The British were essentially sending out ships to map the world because no one had ever mapped the world. So, so think about now how you think about the world. You think about a globe, and that globe has where everything is, and then, like, if you're on Google Maps, you just focus in, and you can see exactly where everything is. But, like, in, 18, in the early 1800s, 
there were whole sections of the world that had been never charted and never mapped. So the British would send out these ships with people to literally make maps of coastlines that there existed no maps of. And Darwin got a chance, he was sponsored by somebody, he got a chance to go on this one ship and go around the world for two years, but the, sh the chip trip kept getting longer, so he ended up spending five years going around the world. And about half the time he was on the ship sailing, but then when the ship would harbor somewhere, he would get off the boat and just go in to these places a lot of times where, where no person from outside of that place had ever been. So he was literally, and I'm telling you, when you study his life, these people who did what he did, they were literally going into places and seeing animals and topographical features and geography and rock formations that nobody from like England had ever seen. And so Darwin would find things bring them back to the boat, and then fill these giant trunks, cases, with stuff he'd found and send it back to England. And in England, they'd open up the trunks and be like, what the fuck, what is this? Like, they had never seen, people in, at that time was considered the modern world. The world was so unexplored that he was sending back these huge trunks full of stuff that they had never seen before. Oh my God, can you imagine? And this is what's really huge about uh, all this to me. Like this was at one point a brand new idea that you could go to this place and you could get specimens of all these things and you could study them and you could arrange them and develop essentially like a theory of this plant, this rock formation, this fossil. So what I'm describing, you're like, yeah, it's called science. Yes, but... But science was in its like its infancy. So you essentially had people like Darwin essentially like putting legs on science for the first time. I know. So fascinating. At one point, Darwin became obsessed with worms. <laughs> he was so unbelievably curious. And he spends these five years traveling the world, having these extraordinary experiences. Then he goes back to England and he just keeps going. He writes his first book about the things that he saw. But the thing is, people who were in England hadn't been to any of these places. So you had these people going out into the world and then coming back and being like, oh, there's like this mountain, but there's a bunch of sea creature fossils that are way up on the mountain. So obviously the ocean used to be up on the mountain. Or was the mountain below the ocean? Like these are the kinds of questions that were being raised. Did the mountain used to be in the ocean or did the ocean used to be up on the mountain because there's a bunch of sea creature stuff way up on the mountain? Can you see how just mind-blowing all this was? And so Darwin and a bunch of his friends and colleagues and contemporaries were essentially inventing what we know to be modern science because so much of this had never been studied. It had never been cataloged. It had never been organized in any coherent way. And, and if you've heard about Darwin, obviously you, you know that like at some point he just keeps writing, he just keeps exploring, he just, but he stays in England, interestingly enough. 
He spends five years all over the world, and the rest of his life, he never leaves England. He's like, he's like, I've been on a boat long enough. He never leaves England. He and his wife have a bunch of kids. He has, uh, he becomes like this scientist who sets up a sets up a house with like a whole area where he could study things, and then he just studies one thing after another. Let me read you. And by the way, you know I love titles. Let me read you some of the names of the titles. He wrote a book, uh, A Variation of Animals and Plants Under Domestication. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is hot. <laughs> How about this one? He wrote one called The Formation of Vegetable Mold Through the Action of Worms. <laughs> Vegetable Mold and Worms. Oh, God. Listen to this one. The Movement and Habits of Climbing Plants. How, I mean, these titles, I, I'm in awe. How about this one? He became obsessed at one point. Like, and, and by the way, I mean obsessed seriously because his health was constantly a struggle because he loved this exploration so much that he would get into a topic and he would study it so obsessively that he would literally like wear out his body and his wife would send him away to some new therapy spa place to try and get him help because his health was always an issue. And he complained about like his passion and his curiosity were so intense that he literally would like wear out his body. So there's a cycle when you study his life of like health crashes um, that he would often say because he just would get so absorbed. At one point he became absolutely compelled by emotions because there wasn't really, once again, people hadn't really studied emotions much. So just go back, listen, and this is why it's so amazing. You're only like 200 years ago, 220 years ago, there, there wasn't, like right now, if you were to just pick some topic, the nervous system, uh, owls, um, <laughs> gluten, like you immediately, if I were to ask you about that, like, what's that? What's gluten? What are, um, what is a duck-billed platypus? You would like go on the interweb or a book or your phone or, and you would like instantly have a whole world of information about that. What are peptides, right? Um, what's heart rate? What's a good exercise if I want to have stronger glutes, right? I could ask you any, you would immediately go and there'd be this massive, you could immediately find a massive body of knowledge about this. I could ask you about Argentinian mountain climbers and you'd be like well the three biggest names are and these are the peaks they've climbed like you could do this just from your phone alone but now go back 200 years there wasn't a massive body on stuff so of, of work and literature and knowledge and research and science so like at one point Darwin <laughs> got really into emotions and and people having emotions and animals having emotions and studied extensively, and then wrote a whole thing called the, Express the Expression of Emotions in Man and Animals. Another, another book he wrote, On the Various Contrivances by Which British and Foreign Orchids Are Fertilized by Insects. So he grew all these plants in his study and then studied them in his greenhouse because he was obsessed with how orchids get fertilized. <laughs> By the way, you know what I'm doing here, right? You're all in on the joke. Whatever it is that you are like really into and you're like, God, I'm just re that, that fires you up that sometimes you like apologize for and feel strange about, mm -mm, this guy's got you topped. 
There's this is actually a long history of people who really get into something. Um, here's one: a monograph on the fossil lapididae or pendunculated cirripedes of Great Britain. That was the title of something that he wrote. A monograph on the fossil lapididae or pendunculated cirripedes of Great Britain. <laughs> One of his first works was called The Structure and Distribution of Coral Reefs. I mean, this fella would get interested in something, and here's why this is so fascinating to me. He'd get interested in something, and no one had done anything on that. No one had written or done any research on how insects fertilize orchids. Climbing plants, vines, why do vines grow up and down the way that they do. Is that related to the sun, the soil, nutrients, chlorophyll? There wasn't anything on that. So there wasn't a Wikipedia on that. There wasn't an Encyclopedia Britannica on that. There wasn't any collected body of anything on that. Darwin, at one point, did a whole thing on moths, orchids. He got really into peacocks, plumage. <laughs> he studied vegetables. Think about it. Beets, rhubarb, that's a fruit, right? Sweet potatoes, whatever. There just wasn't much on any of that. So he and his friends and colleagues and stuff, they were essentially naming things, organizing things, trying to figure out what comes from what in this wide open space because there wasn't anything really written down about any of that. I mean, history, by the way, so at some point, he, he puts out this book called Origin of the Species, which is a thing that had been growing in his world at the time, this understanding of the evolution of our species, etc. By the way, nowhere in, nowhere in his, this book, Origin of the Species, did he use the word evolution, and nowhere did he use the phrase survival of the fittest. So all of that evolution, survival of the fittest that often is attributed to Darwin isn't actually in his book, Origin of the Species. It's always nice to, uh, you know, be clear on certain things. Those were used by other people. And this book uh, rattled people. Uh, it rattled religious people. It rattled scientists. Lots of people were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But lots of people just, it, it went bonkers. In the, and he already had a growing name among scientists. But then this book came out and, like, just put his name, like, everywhere because the implications... Of, of what he was noticing, observing about the human experience, the implications were just like, just 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 a litany of ways that you could read into it and follow it, and it's amazing. So this book makes him like, his name just goes everywhere. And when he got done with that book and put the book out, then he just went on to the next thing. And that's that's what's so huge about Darwin is... He's into vegetables, then he's into peacocks, then he's into orchids, then he's into worms, then he's into, not in that order, then he's into, earlier he was into reefs. He just kept following his curiosity. And then he'd get into vines, and he'd be like, no one's done any observations around vines. So he grew a bunch of vines, and he'd study them day after day after day, and then eventually he'd say, okay, there are a couple kinds of vines. I think this is why they grow. And he would write a piece about vines, and then something else would grab him, and his curiosity would go there, and then he would give himself to that. So after Origin of the Species, 
he got really into dogs. <laughs> How great is that? He puts out this book that is mass. I mean, to this day, it has like a, cer a certain cultural res resonance way beyond science. He puts out this book that endures for hundreds of years in many ways that like puts out, just puts his, puts him on the map and makes him mad. And people make cartoons of him and they loved him and they hated him and they applauded him and they scorned him. It was just giant. But following that, he got into dogs and he realized nobody has properly studied dogs. Like where did dogs come from? How many species are there? How are the species related to each other? Are there patterns that dogs inherit from their ancestors? Do certain adaptive traits die out if they aren't given, like if they don't need to be used or exercised? Like he got really, really, really into dogs. <laughs> How great is that? Like imagine if somebody just now was like, hey, you know Charles Darwin? And you were like, the guy who was into dogs? <laughs> so Irving Stone, in his biography about Charles Darwin, does this whole thing about how people, everywhere Darwin went, people wanted to talk about Origin of the Species. They wanted to talk about this giant book and all the criticism and all the provocation and all the praise and all the press and all the international attention, and everybody wanted to talk about the book. And then they would say to him, like, what's next? Like, now that you did that, you know, now that your name has grown far and wide, you know, how are you going to follow this up? And we all know that's parentheses. How will you top it? Like, what big thing are you doing next? Like, how are you going to follow up this massive book that's just resounding across the world? And Stone has Darwin responding to their questions by saying, I am at dogs. <laughs> Love that so much. What are you going to do next? Uh, dogs? I am at dogs. Even the construction of that sentence is just so beautiful. I am at dogs. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do next? Essentially, uh, I'm going to do the next thing. That's fascinating to me. How are you going to top it? Uh, follow my curiosity and see where it leads? Uh, I mean, what, what, how, I mean, you, what are you going to follow it up with? Um, kind of like I always have, see what's interesting and then give myself to it and see where it takes me. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is the gift I give you, this brief overview of Charles Darwin and Irving Stone's book about Charles Darwin and this line. And honestly, I Googled it, tried to find it, no idea if he actually said it. But we do know that after Origin of Species, he was at, he did get into dogs. So that, yeah, so that's part of the, uh, and, and perhaps there's somebody out there who can be like, oh no, Rob Bell, there's a whole thing on the I'm at dogs. I couldn't find it. Uh, but I love that line, a line that may or may not actually have been spoken, but God, it's still so good. I am at dogs. Yeah. So try that one on, whatever it is you're up to, whatever it is that's got your heart open, that's got you humming, that's, that's got you cooking. Just what are, you, what are you up to? I'm at, yeah, yeah, I'm at dogs or whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> Curiosity is underrated. It's in many ways, the engine of the whole thing. So in, in some ways, that's what you're doing with your life. 
you're pursuing a line of inquiry. That's how the great artist Robert Irwin talks about it. Yeah, the people who move you and inspire you at some level, what they're doing is they're following a question. Yeah, what would it be like to do this? What would it be like to try to help people this way? What would it be like to have some kids? What would it be like to open that business? What would it be like to get trained in that? What would it be like to go to school for that? In some ways, you're, in some ways what you're doing with your life is responding to a question. At the heart of most thriving is a question the person had. What would it be like to know about that? Yeah. yeah. And then you, you set out to pursue that line of inquiry, and you get answers. When you have questions, then you get answers. That's how it works. So when people are like, oh, it's just all questions. No, no, no. If you're serious about questions, then you, what happens is you get answers. And then the answers generate new questions. Well, now that I know what it's like to do that, do I want to keep doing it? Do I want to do it in some new way? Do I want to do it somewhere else? Do I want to stop doing it and learn how to do something else? Do I want to stop doing it and do something over here? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. If you can get to the question, oh my God, you're halfway there. Yeah. Because that's where all the life is. Yeah, what are you up to? I'm at dogs, just following it where it goes. <laughs> this has been Robcast episode 343, I Am at Dogs. By the way, I wrote a song about that. My band, Humans on the Floor. Yeah, it's the, I think it's the second song on our second EP. And the second EP is called The Second One. And I, I wrote a song about this because it just makes me laugh so hard. And it contains so much, I don't know, wisdom, truth, clarity, insight. Yeah. So if you actually want to hear a song called I Am at Dogs, which is about this, uh, Humans on the Floor, available wherever music is streamed, Spotify, Apple, etc. Yep. Written, sung, and played by your truly with uh, my friends Joseph singing along with me, all that. So, I am at dogs. Peace and love, my friends. <laughs>